0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: What does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, when somebody identifies themselves as a Christian, when they say, I am a believer in Jesus, or when they speak about others who are Christians who believe in Jesus, What does that really mean? In general, there are assumptions that people make when we use that term, when we use that term for ourselves and when we use that term for others. When people identify themselves as Christians, what does that really mean? There needs to be an answer to this question because it means many different things to many different people. I know this because I've asked a lot of people, what does it mean to you to be a Christian, to say that you believe in Jesus, what does that mean? And how would that be different from what other people think or what other people believe concerning Jesus and concerning Christianity? What does that really mean to you personally? This is a very important question to ask and it is a very important question to answer. Now, in general, what I have found is that the majority of people who I personally have interacted with, who identify themselves as Christians, who say that they believe in Jesus, what that means to them is that they are going to devote their lives to trying to stop sinning. That is the Christian life to them. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus to them. That they now exist, their very existence is all about trying to stop sinning. To get all of the sin out of their life. That that is the goal of the Christian life and the purpose for believing in Jesus. And this goal is attained in various different ways. In general, this is attained by people believing that God is either going to beat them if they don't stop sinning, or he is not going to bless them until, of course, they stop sinning. It's normally the carrot or the stick that motivates individuals to change and alter their lives, to change their lives in a way that it would be holy. This is the purpose, the reason for being a Christian. From many people's point of view, many people really believe this, that this is the goal of of the Christian life. It is to be holy, to be holy like Jesus, to be holy like God, to be a good person, to be the kind of person who God would not be ashamed of, who He would be proud of, who He would be thankful to have in His kingdom, that this is your goal in life, to finally achieve this status, to achieve this position between you and your God. Now, how do you do this? I mean, how is this going to be accomplished? Well, for the most part, the way that people try to accomplish this is to just simply obey the law of God. To identify those things that they should be doing, identify the things that they should not be doing, And then they make sure that they do the things that they are supposed to be doing and they don't do the things that they're not supposed to be doing. And then supposedly, eventually, they will be holy. They will be righteous. They will be the kind of person that God would like to have in his family. That is the belief of many people and that the goal of the Christian life is to accomplish this. And all we need to do is be properly informed about what is good and what is evil, so that we will do all those things that are good and we won't do anything that is evil. And when we live that way, then we will be who God wants us to be. Then we will have accomplished the goal. We will have succeeded in our objective to be holy before God. But how is this really going to work out for an individual? I mean, what is really going to happen When a person commits themselves, devotes themselves to a life like this, what will happen? Well, in general, what people do is they believe, or at least they deceive themselves into believing, they believe that they can succeed, and they try. They try very hard, and they present themselves to others in the world that they are a part of as if they have accomplished something. Believing that they have in many cases, but they really do try. You have to be committed to something like this to even try it. And when people do try it, they will eventually, at some point, and it may be years later, but at some point a person is going to recognize that they are not as impressive as they think they are, that they have failed, that they have not succeeded in all that God would require of them. They have not succeeded in all that he would expect of them. Now, it does take some time for people to come to this conclusion. And so if you encounter somebody who does believe that this is how they are supposed to live, that this is what being a Christian is truly about, if you encounter somebody like that, and they really believe that they can be holy by their repentance and obedience, then you just need to give them some time, encourage them to do it more. Try to get them to really be committed, to really be obedient, because eventually it will destroy them. Eventually it will drive them to the point of absolute, utter, and total despair, if they are as committed as they claim they are. Because we cannot be like God. Through the knowledge of good and evil, we cannot be like God. If that was true... Then what the devil said to Adam and Eve was the truth when he told them in the Garden of Eden that all you need to know is what is good and evil and you can be like God. That was the first sermon of the devil, and that was a lie. Unfortunately, in many different ways, people believe that that is the truth today, and that is unfortunate, but if a person will be committed to the task, if they will be devoted to trying to live a life of holiness, then eventually they will come to discover that they have failed, that they cannot do it, that they cannot be as perfect as God. Now, you must come to the point of acknowledging this. You must recognize that you cannot do it, that there is no way that you will ever be able to do it, because it's only then that you will see that you have no hope in any way whatsoever outside of the mercy of God. That that is what it will come down to. It will come down to the fact that you need the mercy of God. And without His mercy, you would have nothing. Now, we have been made holy because of His mercy. He made us holy because of what He accomplished. When he took away the sins of the world through his death on the cross, not through our obedience, but through his obedience, when he took away the sins of the world, he made us holy who have been regenerated, who have been resurrected by the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. Those of us who have received the free gift of eternal life are made holy If you have not received the Holy Spirit, then you may very well be forgiven, but you're certainly not holy, you're certainly not righteous, you haven't been saved. Salvation is the restoration of life. It is forgiveness that makes that possible, but salvation is definitely the restoration of the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. But what I want you to understand is that you are holy only because of what he did on your behalf not because of what you think you will do on your own behalf before your God. And if you understand that, then I believe you can appreciate what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he said, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He says, therefore, in the sense that it is a conclusion to everything that he said previously between Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 12, he had a lot to say about the mercies of God, the love of God, that it is because of the love of God that you have been made holy. And so if that is the case, then present yourself to God in the holiness that he has already given to you. That you are holy only because of his mercy, not because of your obedience. You are holy because of his obedience, not because of yours. So when you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it can be easy because of the cultural bias that exists in the Christian world today. It can be very easy to assume that he is saying, present yourself a holy individual Get yourself cleaned up, get yourself straightened out, get all of the sin out of your life. It's very easy to assume that that's what he is saying. Present yourself as a holy individual by the mercy of God. I urge you to do that, and if you don't do that, then he's not going to be very merciful to you. This is what you do in order to obtain his mercy. This is what people are believing, for the most part, in the Christian world today. But I'm telling you that no, it is the exact opposite, that in light of the mercy that he has had, that he has given to you in light of that, in light of the holiness that you now have because of what he has accomplished, he has been merciful to you by giving you holiness, something that you could have never possibly achieved. He did that already. And so in light of what he has done on your behalf because of what he has done Now, present yourself. Present yourself to Him. You know, beforehand, there was no way to really present yourself to Him. You could have never done that according to the law, according to the Old Covenant, according to the belief that you have to get your flesh under control before you can present yourself to your God so that He can be merciful to you. There is no way you're going to be able to do that because you will never be holy enough you will never get enough sin out of your life. And how much is enough? It's all, all of it, 100%, gone, never to return. Repentance in the context of turning away from your sin, never to engage in it or commit it ever again. That's what repentance means. That's what obedience and holiness means. But this is never going to be achieved. You are never going to achieve this out of the energy of your flesh. The only way that you will ever be holy is if he forgives your sins. It is only if he forgives you, only then can he make you holy. But what people are doing is they're making the assumption, they're making the assumption that the only way that you can receive the mercy of God as if you get yourself straightened out first. But I'm telling you that you are to receive the mercy of God because that is your only alternative. That is your only hope. There truly is nothing but His mercy. When you have received His mercy, you present yourself to Him only in that context, only in the context of I am only here because you are merciful. I can only be your child because you are merciful. That is all that there is. There is nothing besides that. And how does he describe this presentation of yourself? He describes it as worship. Again, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He describes this presentation of ourselves, which is just simply our acknowledgement, our sober-minded recognition that he has made us holy. And because of that, we are nothing outside of him. We are nothing at all, And so we present ourselves to him first and foremost to be the recipients of his mercy, to be the recipients of his love, to receive his grace and to walk in our daily lives with what he has given to us. We present ourselves to him to receive from him what he has to give us. We don't present ourselves to him to give him something to give him something that perhaps he lacks or that he needs. No, we present ourselves to him to receive what he has to offer. And he described this as worship. You know, the word worship can sometimes be a little deceiving as well, especially because there are so many different types of worship. There are so many different styles. There are so many different approaches or philosophies concerning worship, but you know what I mean when I use that word in that way. What I mean is is that people get together and they do a song and dance. That's what they do. Now, I can appreciate the value of music, and I can appreciate the value of dance. I don't mean to ridicule that kind of worship, but I don't believe that that's the kind of worship that he's talking about here. I believe he's talking about a kind of worship that is unique between a real believer in the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus, between you and the living God, that there is a distinct worship that can only be experienced between the living God and his people. The kind of worship that we generally see in most congregations is a kind of worship that anybody can participate in, that anybody can do. You don't have to believe in God to participate in or enjoy The type of worship that is generally conducted in the kinds of services that we see on a weekly basis, sometimes bi-weekly basis. These experiences are worship in a certain sense. I understand that and I can appreciate that. But there is a type of worship that is unique between an individual who knows their God and their God. And this is something that cannot be duplicated by someone exercising their talents, by someone exercising their musical abilities. There is something unique about the type of worship that I believe he is referring to here that can only be experienced between a believer in the Lord Jesus according to the gospel and the living God. And this type of worship has to do with being the recipient. It has to do with receiving his love receiving his acceptance receiving his understanding and his wisdom and his knowledge and his guidance and his direction this is a type of worship that is unique that can only be experienced between a true resurrected believer in the Lord Jesus there is no way that an unbeliever can ever encounter this at all and I believe that this is the type of worship that he's referring to in my opinion, what he is saying here is that because God has been merciful to you, because he has given to you everything that you need for life and godliness, because he has given to you his forgiveness, his mercy, his salvation, because he has given all things to you, because of that, he has made you holy because of what he has done. So because of that, present yourself to him and be the recipient of all that he has for you, present yourself and worship him by receiving what he has, by taking what he has, by living your life on the basis of what he has given to you, that that is the kind of worship that he wants from his people. He does not want worship in the sense of what we think we might be able to deliver to him. He wants our worship in the context of us worshiping him and taking and enjoying and resting and living on the basis of what he has given to us, which is truly himself. We are to worship him as a person. We are not to worship the things that he has made with these expectations that he needs to deliver to us some of the things that he has so that we can find a way to indulge our flesh in the world that he has created. This is not what he's talking about. He is talking about the giving of himself. There is a major difference between worshiping the things that he has created and worshiping the one who gave all things. That is what I believe he is referring to when he says worship, that we are to worship him. Now, why would he do this? I mean, what is the purpose in him directing us in this way? What did he really have in mind when he established salvation? What did he really have in mind when he provided us with this great opportunity to know who he is? I believe that this has to do with the original design that he had in mind when he created us to begin with. You see, when he created humanity, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them to be in his image. Now, the word that was used to describe the image of God that he would make man in, he said, let us make man in our image. The word that he chose to use there was a word that describes a reflection not an imitation, not to say that God has two arms and two legs and so we have two arms and two legs, or two eyes and two ears and one nose. That's not what that word implies. That is not the purpose of that word. The purpose of that word is to describe a reflection like you would see off of a mirror or a body of water. He created us so that he could reflect himself off of us, so that we would be a reflection of our God. He said, let us make man to be a reflection of the living God and his substance, of his nature, of his character, of his being, so that what? So that people could look at humanity and say, look how wonderful humanity truly is. No, it was so that the invisible God could be manifested in a visible way, so that he who dwells in unapproachable light could be seen. He could be understood, he could be recognized, he could be known, and he could definitely be appreciated. That was a purpose, of course, of many purposes, of creating humanity. He created humanity so that we would be a reflection of who he is. But what happened when the fall of humanity occurred? When the fall of humanity occurred, Adam and Eve died, and when they died, the presence of the living God was no longer within them. The Holy Spirit that had been breathed within them to make them a living being was withdrawn and so that they were dead to God, and no longer having the living God within them, they would not be able to reflect who He is, not in the way that He originally intended. And so, that is why it is written that when Adam and Eve gave birth to children, they gave birth to children in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when you receive forgiveness and the restoration of the life that had been lost in Adam, according to the gospel, then once again, he has the opportunity to reflect himself within and through His creation, not in the same way as he did in the old creation. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But the way that this is accomplished is by us presenting ourselves to him, receiving what he has to give, and who he is then gets reflected off of us so that our worship of him is revealed through the revelation of himself within and through our being. That is the purpose of the Christian life. That is the purpose of salvation, so that the invisible God can be manifested in a visible way, so that we might see him for who he is and know our God. But when it comes to worship in the traditional context, what people are generally doing is showing themselves, revealing themselves, expressing themselves, so that people might know those people who are participating, or who are conducting, or who are orchestrating the worship that people believe is really worship. Now again, I really do appreciate the value of worship services in the traditional context. I am only saying that by doing this, sometimes, sometimes people can be distracted. People can be confused. People can believe that this is the true worship that our God has called us to, as he has described in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But I believe that the worship that he is describing here is not about worship in the sense of what we are going to give to God, what we are going to present to God, what we have to offer God. Instead, no, we are to present ourselves to him for what he has to offer to us, for what he can give to us. That there truly is something wrong with us, that there is something lacking in us, that we do not need to present ourselves in the condition that we are in, in the sense that we are presenting ourselves to him as though we have inherent value within and of ourselves, but we do not. We need to be transformed. We need to be changed. We need him to do a work within us. He does not need us to do a work for him. He wants to do a work within and through you, which is why I believe he went on to say in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I, of course, will talk about this in the next broadcast. I'm out of time for this one. I just want you to consider... That worship is more, it's a lot more than just singing praises to the Lord. It has to do with what our God has for us and that our worship for Him or towards Him Our worshiping Him is not like worshiping other gods. We don't go to Him with our sacrifices, with our offerings, with our commitments, with our dedications. We go to Him because of His sacrifice, because of what He is offering, because of the commitment that He has made according to the new covenant that He has established that has been expressed and revealed as a testament, as His will that has gone into effect after He died. This is the kind of worship that our God is seeking that is very different from the worship that other gods, or supposed gods, supposedly desire. This is a God who gives to us everything we need for life and godliness, and all blessings in heavenly places. We are to turn to Him and worship Him by receiving what He has to offer, and by allowing Him to transform us in the way that He desires and to do a work within us. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast.
0: You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net.